Everybody, would you open your Bibles this morning to uh, our, our study, our focus will be on Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. Um, I was remiss last week, and I'm, I'm going to do this in, in the remaining weeks that we're going to be studying the letters to the churches, and I'm asking our other uh, elders, uh, our other preachers to uh, remember to do this too. I was remiss to not include in our reading Revelation 1, 12 through 20. And so we want to, we're going to include that every time as the prelude to teaching, to reading the, uh, the, the verses for, for the next church. Um, and it's because the Bible has, has, the format of Revelation, you guys, I just want you to see the beauty of it. Um, it's, it's written in such a way to keep us beholding our God. So that's why that song was so meaningful to me. We are to behold our God. And in chapter 1, verses 12 through 20, you'll see in just a minute, we'll read it again together. It's so that we can behold Jesus in all of his glory. And that beholding him, the whole point of beholding him, is that God uses that in a way that helps us become more like him. So when we behold him, we become more like him. Uh, so we're going to read that this morning. Um, uh, and you'll notice that in each of the letters, God will highlight one of the attributes, one or more of the attributes of what we read in chapter 1 in the needs and, and exhortation or correction that he gives to the seven churches. So it continues to follow us through the book. Um, uh, when we see Christ, isn't this, haven't you found this true of you? The more you've seen Christ clearly, the more you see yourself clearly. Haven't you seen that? When you get your eyes off of Christ, you kind of start not interpreting your own, own life very well. And that could be, you're either thinking you're the worst thing ever, and you've, you've forgotten your identity in Christ, or, or you're thinking maybe you're better than you thought. <laughs> we need to constantly be seeing ourselves clearly by seeing Christ more clearly. You see, because when, when we go further in Revelation, when we start in chapter 6 and forward, it's some sober stuff, you guys. If you've read the book of Revelation, you know there's some hard stuff coming on. But isn't the Lord something? Isn't he beautiful in the way that he, he has us keep beholding Christ, keep beholding Christ, and in beholding Christ, I want you to be more alert to the condition of your heart than you are to the condition of the world. I, I just think we can, we can try to skip over things and then we freak out because of we, we see, I mean, literally God's going to peel back the veil in Revelation 6 and forward to let us see just what is going on day after day after day in terms of spiritual warfare and the evil of Satan and the, the, the horror of ungodliness in our world. And it freaks us out. And the Lord says, here's how, the, here's how I want to keep you from freaking out. I want you to see Jesus regularly. I want seeing him to change the condition of your heart. And as I change the condition of your heart, I'm going to prepare you to go as a minister to deal with the condition of the world. Does it, does it, you sort of see that? Don't take my word for it. Read Revelation 1 through 6. Just this week, and, and, and you can go further, but you're going to see how the format of this is just so awesome. Um, last week, we saw this in the Ephesian church. Remember how they were a church that loved sound doctrine, but they didn't really like people. <laughs> and it just boggles me when, when we talk to somebody who's a Christian, but they just seem like they don't even like people. And, and there's something wrong with that. And so that was the correction from the Lord that he gave them last week. And the Lord challenged us, in what ways have your affections grown less for Jesus? In what ways have your affections grown less for a fellow member of the body of Christ? Let's start with marriage. In what way have your affections grown less for your spouse? Start there. In what ways have your affections grown less to sharing the gospel with people who have no clue about Jesus? And isn't, so God calls our attention. Let's, let's deal with our hearts. And you guys, 
Listen, this is, God's not just saying that we're all just miserable wretches in that. Praise God for the areas where you're loving him well. Praise God for the areas that you're, let's say, for the, there's, here's eight people that you're loving like Christ. Praise God, that's awesome. But let's don't, don't deceive ourselves to think that these other three people that we're struggling to love like the Lord loves us, that it's okay that we're not paying any attention to that. That's how the Lord works. He wants to keep changing all of our hearts. Thank God for the parts that his grace is obvious work, obviously working in. But are you being alert to the areas where you need to grow in your love? And so that's what we were learning uh, last week in regard to growing. Doug's announcement about uh, our neighborhood evangelistic efforts. This is a way that together we can grow in our love for reaching the lost. Um, we, we need to do it personally. So when we, some people ask, what is your evangelism strategy? Well, one of them is we say you're dismissed <laughs> at the end of service. We, we are actually saying, go and bring the gospel to Midland, Texas, to Odessa, Texas, to the Permian Basin. That's one of our strategies. But we're also a family. And we've been, God has located us in a specific neighborhood for a reason. And so we want to be a light into this neighborhood. And so I'm so thankful for all the work that Doug is doing to help us in leading this effort. So let's read this morning. And we'll start in Revelation chapter 1. And, and let's start in verse 12. And, and again, this is not like reading your email. This is God saying, I'd like to take you into the throne room. And I want you to behold your Savior. Beginning in verse 12 of chapter 1. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes, they were like a flame, a fire. His feet, like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me and he said, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. So write therefore the things you've seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the church, seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And now let's go to verse 8, to the church, the letter to the church in Smyrna. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second 
Well, Lord, would you write your word upon our hearts? Lord, we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be hearers, Lord. You said he who has ears to hear. So God, in whatever ways we've got kind of spiritual wax in our ears, would you, would you just get that wax out of the way? Help us that our greatest listening is to you and your word to us. And we want to be changed by the word. We ask that the same impact that this experience had on John and the same truths that you were teaching to the seven churches, we desire that all of that grace change us too. We love you. We need you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This week I read an article that was written to help people be better equipped for having difficult conversations with one another. Uh, Conversations that are rooted in God's word and in God's love. Well, this morning I find myself in the position, not so much of having a difficult conversation with you, but I do have to teach a pretty difficult passage to you this morning. This morning, we're going to listen to what Jesus has to say about the persecution of the church and how he gives us grace to overcome the persecution without compromising our faith. So, guys, there's going to be a lot of awesome joy in this, but I think we also need to be sobered by the realities it's showing us too. And, and, and did you notice he's saying, even if it costs you your lives, even if it costs you your lives. And Jesus is also going to include a word to us about the unquenchable fires of hell. That's in the passage this morning, too. I know, I know, you might be saying, Pastor Billy, a sermon about persecution and hell the day before Valentine's? (laughs) I know, I know, my timing is never very good. But God's timing, hopefully, is going to be just great. Um, Pastor Billy, it's Super Bowl Sunday. And we're going to start the day off with persecution and hell? Well, I personally think I'm giving you a very good Valentine today. (laughs) I personally think this is God telling us how much he loves us. This is God telling us. I want you to feel and experience and know my presence in your darkest night, in in the times when your faith seems as weak as it's ever seemed. I want to prepare you for those days because there will be some of those days, won't there? We may not be martyred here in Midland, Texas, but we just got to... Listen, just for some of you, I don't want you to tune out in this. This is not just if, if, that we be faithful unto the death of a martyr. This is that we be faithful unto death. How many believers have you seen as they've gotten older, they've gotten yuckier, they've gotten more bitter, they've gotten more sour? Oh, I don't want to be that way. Oh, please, God, please, may the light of Christ, the love of Jesus, be more clear in our hearts as we get older. So this is about being faithful to death, whether you die at 15 or whether you die at 95. The issue is not how young you die. The issue is, were we faithful until death? That's the issue. And so that's, so happy Valentine's. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I want you to see. And you want to talk about oh, Super Bowl? I got one for that too. <laughs> you want to talk about victory? Oh, listen, I don't, I don't know who's going to win between the Bengals and the Rams, but I want to talk about victory to the one who dies in Christ. He gets the crown of life. Hello. That's right. And you ain't going to want to go to Disney World after you get that crown of life, right? Okay, enough with the goober stuff. So let me, let me ask you a question this morning, kind of as, as we just kind of pr- prepare for this. How how are you doing in your knowledge of sound doctrine? How are you doing? How about this? Do you feel like you're pretty strong in the doctrine of Christ being the only way of salvation? Do you feel like you're pretty strong in that? 
I think we are. I mean, we always can grow, right? But how about this one? Do you feel like you're pretty strong in the doctrine that you are saved by God's grace in Christ and not by your works? Pretty, I think that's certainly what we try to teach and preach. We want to live in the good of that. We can always grow. How about this? Are you, are you growing in strength in your knowledge of the doctrines of justification in Christ, sanctification in Christ, and glorification in Christ? I hope so. I hope so. How about this one, though? Has anyone, I don't know that I've even had this thought or put these words together. So let me bounce this off of you. Do you feel like you're pretty strong in the doctrine of persecution for Christ? And I would say, not really for me. And that's not good because it's not just me. It, it means that, that I haven't probably been as alert to how we teach this and the need of the body of Christ for hearing this. I'm so grateful for the plurality of elders that we have. You guys, the Lord, the Lord has used our elder team, our leadership team over the years to help me to really see that I can, I can kind of be one-dimensional in my preaching and teaching. And There's, there's a lot of comfort that you're going to receive in this passage today. My, my problem would be that, that that's all I would do. I, I would just, that, that's kind of where I would just, I just want you to be comforted, you know. Well, that's not evil. But the reason the Lord comforts us in this passage is so that we might be faithful unto death. That's why he comforts us. It's so that we might be the lampstand whose light shines brighter, the, the lampstand who's more dependent on the oil of the Holy Spirit that shines brighter and brighter until Jesus comes. That's why, we, that's why he comforts us to help us be faithful, not just, not just to feel better. So I'm, I'm learning, and I'm sorry for where I've fallen short and how that can impact you. Um, so one of the blessings of the book of Revelation is that it pastors us and equips us with having sound doctrine on persecution, on the gravity of persecution and the grace to overcome it. Amen? That's just such a beautiful... I'm so thankful for this book and what it's showing me about my heart. And I, I hope you are experiencing that too, that God's just maybe oh, peeling back some onion of your... Such a dumb example. Well, thanks. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's just like that. You know, the onion has so many layers, and isn't that just sanctification? That 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 God just keeps peeling back the layers to say, okay, hey, praise God, you're growing. Here's another area that I want you to grow in. And so I think that's what He's doing with the Book of Revelation for us. So let's get, let's get to some real things. According to the 2022 World Watch list, uh, it's every year you can go to the, the web and, and uh, pull this up. It, it, it lists the top 50 countries every year where it's the hardest to follow Jesus. Over, over 360 million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. What that means is one in seven believers worldwide are exposed to persecution daily. <laughs> I had to stop when I read that. One in seven believers worldwide. We can get so cocoonish, can't we, in, in our living in the United States, that we're not really seeing the condition of the world, of the fallen world, the, the enemy of our souls and all of those things. Every day in 2021, an average of more than 16 believers were killed for following Jesus. With close to 6,000 total martyrs, 21 saw, 2021 saw a 24% increase in Christians that were killed for their faith. The top five countries of persecution is currently the greatest, and that means deaths, sanctions, mandates, discrimination, imprisonment, beatings, all of that are it's been North Korea for years. You know who it is now? It's Afghanistan. Which just hits you, doesn't it? Because of just all that's been in the news about it. North Korea, second. Somalia, third. Libya, and Yemen. 
and then you can just go and see what the other 45 are. Thankfully, you guys, we're not experiencing these things in Midland, but, but you know, we would be foolish not to think that there's not a slow boil going on in our country of a growing hostility to Jesus. It's a, it's a slow boil, but I, I think I'm starting to actually not just see the little bubbles <laughs> when, you, when you're watching. I, I'm one of those people who watches the pot. I don't know what's... I have a boring life. I have such a boring life. And I'm just sitting there. And, and you, you know how when it starts... It doesn't start off with the big, the big bubbles. It starts with those little... The slow boil is going on in our country. It's more than I can remember in my lifetime, my 62 years. There's such a growing anger to the exclusive claim of Christianity that there's only one way to salvation through faith in Christ. We are not inclusive enough. You guys, to follow Jesus, there's a lot of exclusivity in regard to who he is and how he saves. We can't go all inclusive here. Now, does he extend the invitation to whosoever will may come? Hallelujah, he does. But it's only coming through him, through Christ. There's increasing animosity on the doctrines of God as the creator. It's, it's continuing to be more insulting that people even believe in a divine creator. The teaching of evolution is, is, is so subtly and not so subtly promoted in academia. Growing volatility among those who are advocating for abortion and against anyone who believes in the sanctity of human life. The Bible's view of God's design for marriage one biological male married to one biological female for a lifetime, or gender being assigned by God at conception. It used to be viewed, listen, remember those, if you're older, remember the, the hardest criticism we got is, you're just so old-fashioned. There's actually, yeah, you have look at some of you, there's actually a day like that. That was the hardest, the hardest criticism we got. We're old-fashioned. This is outdated you got to get with the times. Now our views are viewed as evil, hate speech, or oppression. It used to be that keeping, keeping um, your faith just to yourself, just keep your faith to yourself. My dad, bless his heart, my dad used to tell me that. Billy, faith is a personal thing. <laughs> it's a private thing. And I would say, well, dad, it is a personal thing, but it's never intended to be a private thing. It should be personal, but it's never private. No way. No way. But that's what the world is saying. Keep it to yourself and we'll get along. Actually, that's really not what's happening now. Now they're saying, if you don't celebrate all that we're doing that is breaking the heart of God, that is disobeying his commands, that's destroying family and culture, if you're not celebrating with us, you're evil. You're intolerant. And something needs to be done with you Christians. Listen, one of the blessings of doing a study in Revelation is it provides and equips us with a biblical doctrine of persecution and a biblical understanding of how God overrules it and gives us grace to overcome it so that we'll be prepared for it, so that we won't be surprised by it, so that we'll be filled with hope about how God will sustain us and use us in the midst of it. If we don't have a biblical theology of persecution, so here's, here's a, the, just the, the pastor heart of this book, the pastor heart of Jesus, our heart for you as your pastors. If we don't have a biblical theology of persecution, then we're going to just make ourselves more vulnerable to discouragement and to fear and to compromise. That's where it goes. And we don't want that for you. So the main point this morning is very simple. We overcome tribulation by trusting in Christ's empowering faithfulness to us and being faithful to finish our mission for him. Very simple, and you'll see that with these three points. We'll look at first. First, just some background in Smyrna. It'll help to kind of give a sense of what our our brothers and sisters of years and years ago were going through in Smyrna. Today it's called Izmir. It's, it's, it's a, actually still a city in western Turkey. The time of writing of Revelation is about 200,000 people. These guys were buddy-buddies with Rome. When Rome was competing for dominance with Carthage, Smyrna 
just cast their lot on Rome. Everything was about Rome. And they showed their royalty to Rome. There was all kinds of Greek god temples all over the place. But what they did to show their loyalty to Rome was to be the first city that built a temple just in honor of Rome, in worship of Rome. And then even more than that, they were the first one to actually build a temple to Emperor Tiberius as a way of promoting emperor worship. Rome required people to offer sacrifices and burn incense on the altar to the emperor and state out loud, publicly at least once a year, you had to state out loud, Caesar is Lord. But because the Jews had continually sided with Rome during the wars, the Jews that lived in this section of the world, there was this unique agreement made with them that they didn't have to offer sacrifices or light incense to Caesar as a god, but they had to commit themselves to pray for him in their synagogues for, for Caesar as a ruler. Okay, so that's kind of where that started. So early on, there wasn't a whole lot happening in the way of persecution of Christians because Rome considered the body of Christ to be just kind of another sect of Judaism. So that was happening for a while, so that you didn't see a ton of the persecution that we see moving forward in history. But then Nero comes along, and he sees Christianity ain't no, I'm sorry, I just, I'm just not a very good example sometimes to kids. <laughs> Christianity is not a sect of Judaism. That's what Nero knew. He probably knew it better than than unbeliever, than the believers understood in some ways. And he saw it as a threat to Rome, and therefore it should be eliminated. So you hear some of the horror stories about Nero and how he treated Christians. Listen, the Jews were already bowing down to Rome, and they were already compromising their own faith just to keep from being persecuted. So they, they wanted to stay in Rome's good graces. And to do that, now that, now that the, the gauntlet has been tossed, that Christians need to be eliminated, we just need to make sure that they know the difference between the Jews and the Christians. And so they just started turning Christians in. Um, and not, and they, listen, it wasn't just all that. Uh, there, was, there was growing animosity to Christians because Jesus was winning Jews right and left. The the church was growing, and it was growing. One of the ways it was growing wasn't just through ethnic Jews, but it was that definitely ethnic Jews were were following Jesus. Uh, They were actually becoming true Jews, you could say, because they, they were actually children of Abraham because they put their faith in the Messiah that Abraham had believed in all along. It's faith in Jesus that saves you, not your ethnicity, right? And so it's, it's just, it, regardless of whether you're Jew or Greek, it's faith in Jesus that saves you. And they did, listen, they detested the doctrine that the Messiah hung on a tree like some cursed criminal. There's no way our Messiah, that that would happen to him. So they hated that. So did you wonder why Jesus has such a hard word to the Jews in this passage? Synagogue of Satan? Let's just make sure we're understanding what that's about because we've got to be careful. This is not anti-Semitism. And over history, this has been used to justify anti-Semitism. This was Jesus declaring that being ethnically Jewish did not make them God's people. It was Jesus saying that a true child of Abraham is one who has been saved by grace alone, by believing in Christ alone for salvation. That's the children of Abraham. He was speaking of ethnic Jews who were dead in sin. They weren't believers in Jesus. And as such, they were, they, 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 the part they were playing in the persecution of Christians was not the work of God. It was the work of Satan. That's where all that is coming from. And thus they were a synagogue of Satan. Their goal was to eliminate Christians through persecution. Rome made it all but, listen, and Rome was was certainly doing its share to to bring it to a point of persecuting. 
It, it, they made it impossible to earn a good living, to have a good place to live, to get a good education, unless you were willing to sacrifice to Caesar and call him Lord. So here you, you think, so to our students, you think, you think, oh man, the ACTs and SATs are bad. Listen, you, if you're going to get into the college you want to get into, you also had to pass this test. Caesar is Lord. That's how you get into Texas Tech. That's how you get into A&M or, or UT or New Mexico State University, where I went, the Harvard of the Southwest. <laughs> I just always love to say that, you guys. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just not a very good representative of New Mexico State University. It's a, it's a good school. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's keep moving. Um, so... So listen, they made it, they just made it impossible because, listen, you, you know, talk about unions and all of these. I used to work in personnel management, so we, always there were issues with Shell Oil and unions and all these kind of things. And were unions good or bad or evil or good or and all the different things. Listen, there were trade guilds. They were similar to unions. But to be in the union, to keep your job, you had to be willing to make sacrifices to Caesar and to call him Lord. I was trying to think, Lord, is there any way to kind of apply, sort of just give our hearts some sense of what this felt like, the weight, the pressure of this? And I think one of the things, now please don't, I am not calling this persecution of Christians, but I am saying it gives us a little sense of what it feels like for you to be judged for your employment on nothing about your employment, nothing about your performance. It's about whether you're vaccinated or not. So you hear what I'm, please, I'm not saying that, that that's Christian persecution, though there maybe could be some little tentacles that extend to someone who just has an issue of faith in the Lord and not taking the vaccine. And so there could be some stuff there. But just by and large, you know, hey, you, you, you have to have the vaccine to stay employed. And I know you guys have shared some of that with your pastors. It, it weighs on our hearts, not as much as I'm sure as it weighs on you, but it, it feels horrible, doesn't it? You feel helpless. Oh, you know what I need? I don't, first and foremost, I don't need to know what to do about the vaccination. God, I need to grow in my doctrine of persecution. I need to better understand how to live when, when my faith is being opposed. I need help. That's what I first need help in. And I think if you'll grow me in that way, you'll help me understand how to navigate when, when the state oversteps their bounds. Does, does that make sense? So I'm, 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 not, I'm not making a commentary on vaccines or anything like that. That's no commentary on that. I just want you, if you have felt it, if you're in the medical world and just the whole issues of, you have to be vaccinated to do, I, I, our first responders. I mean, there's just, you know, we have so many people that we know and love that, that have been confronted with the weight of that. The word tribulation in this passage, it comes up a couple times. It, it's, it's a word for intense pressure. It's a word, I'm just I'm trying to think of ways to describe it. <laughs> For me to describe construction things, so Stephen Stroop is going to just crack up at me here because I don't know anything about what I mean. I sort of get this a little bit. So you know the thing, I think it's a vice thing, like, right? Not Miami vice, but a, a construction vice, right? That <laughs> Miami vice? What? Oh, it's okay, Bill. He's just old. Our pastor is just old. Um, just the pressure. Can you imagine being in the vice? So, you know, here's, here the, the, the worker is tightening the vice. And can you imagine actually being a living being in the vice? And at first you can bear up under some of the pressure. But it gets bad, doesn't it? That's what this word tribulation is about. So that's going to be very important when we get to now, now where we're going next, about how Jesus comforts you. And how he equips you and prepares you to bear up under the vice, under the tribulation. Um, so, so that's where we're, we're going next. They were slandered. Some of the slander, I mean, you might today go, well, I can't kind of figure that. But they were slan the Christians were being slandered by drowning their children. They said they were drowning their children. You know what they're referring to? Baptism. They were cannibals. What are they referring to? communion. 
They were arsonists. This is the one I hadn't heard before. <laughs> they were arsonists. Why? Well, because they believe that if you reject Christ, there's, there's a hell. There are unquenchable fires of just judgment in hell. And so there, there, there's these slanders that were going on. So what does Jesus say to those kind of people? Well, the first thing he says is be focused on the person of Christ. And that's uh, chapter 2, verse 8. He calls us to be focused on the saving work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and his sovereignty over all things. And don't we see that just in the phrasing in verse 8? The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So whenever you're feeling pressured, you're feeling the pressure, the vice is getting tighter. It, whether it's your employment or sometimes it's just family relationships. Sometimes it's being spurned by other family members because of your devotion to Jesus. That vice can happen in so many ways. So the first thing is focus on the person of Jesus. Just like we heard in chapter 1 verse 17. God, Christ as God is completely sovereign and in total control over human history. He is without rival. He's without rival as he's governed the past. Can't we say amen to that? Hasn't it been awesome to see Old Testament history, even New Testament history up until now? Hasn't it been awesome? We really should stand up and say, well done, God. Well done. You were never not in control. He is, he's the God who is controlling and overruling human history. He's the God who is present with you right now in everything that you're feeling the vice grip on, the tribulation on. Um, and he will be the God who governs your future all the way to heaven, all the way to heaven, all the way to heaven. And it's not just simply that he's sovereign over history. These, the, the, these two phrases are awesome. Let me try to help you kind of paint a picture of it. So you, it's easy, oh, he's sovereign over history, he's sovereign over history, but I sure feel lonely right here where I am in my tears and my heartache. He's not just sovereign over history, he's personally involved. And how was he most personally involved? Jesus Christ comes into the world. Perfect man, perfect God, suffers the experience of, of our sins, bearing the punishment of our sins, experiences our sorrows, experiences persecution and death on a cruel cross. He suffered the worst that life could give. He suffered the worst that Satan can give. And he, and he dies, and on the third day, say it with me, he rose again which means he's with you in that vice grip. It means he's with you right now. You are not alone. The power of a resurrected Savior is holding on to you, and he will not let go. That's so, the, so it's first focusing on the person and the work of Jesus. That's where we go first. It's the second part. He says, do not fear. Be fearless because of the providence of Christ. And you see this in chapter, in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Oh, these first words are lovely. And we don't want to just race by them, but we got to keep moving. Verse 9, I know. This, Jesus, can you just hear him saying that to you right now? He is saying that to you right now. I know your tribulation, your poverty. I'm going to remind you in a second how rich you are. You may be poor in your income, but oh, oh, you're so rich. I know the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not. You're being lied about. You're being misrepresented, canceled by the culture. I know, he says. Remember who knows. He's the one who's the first and the last. The one who died and rose, he knows. He's experienced the feelings of suffering through his 33 years of sinless living and, though, and through his death on the cross for our sins. He perfectly knows what you're struggling with right now. He knows the heartache of parents who are worried about feeding their kids. He knows the fear of a worker who never would have dreamed that he or she was a candidate for being terminated. 
But now because there's some hostility to, to Jesus and to the, for those who are faith, have faith in Jesus, not only are you concerned about being fired, will you ever be hired again? You know how those thoughts can come in. Jesus knows. A young person who's being denied advanced education or you're not being a starter on the team all because you're just a little too devoted to Jesus. Jesus knows every jagged edge of your broken hearts. I don't know why they call it broken heart because where, where I hurt when my heart is broken, I, I, but I guess it doesn't sound as romantic as say, he knows your broken stomach. Doesn't it feel like it's like, I got a broken heart, but it hurts here. Well, I think it's because all the jagged edges are there. There's no biological validity to anything I just said. So, um, but he knows. He knows every tear you're shedding. He knows every hour of sleep you're not getting. He knows your concern about your finances, your loneliness, your illness. He knows you're weary. He knows there's some of you who sure seem like living for Christ is making my life harder. I look at some of the people who, who don't even give a thought to Jesus. Man, they sure seem to be prospering. He knows. But did you notice right away, he says in the midst of this, let me pull back the veil again. Here's what I want you to see. You're rich. You're rich. You're rich that you're even believing in him. <laughs> you're rich that he opened your heart and melted your heart to love him. You're rich because he's keeping you believing in him. Don't think too highly of yourself there. You're rich because as much as I feel like my faith is weak, He's the one who's undergirding it. You're still believing as much as you're hurting, as angry as you've been, when you, you're still, you find yourself, I'm, even when I'm angry at God, which is a sin, but even when I'm angry at God, I find myself praying to him. I, I find myself talking to him. Why? Because he's with you. He's keeping you believing. He's keeping you moving forward. Oh, you're rich. You're rich because you have righteousness in Christ. You have joy and peace in Christ. You are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. He knows all things, the God who knows all things. You're united to the Holy Spirit with his fruit and his gifts. So don't fear what you're about to suffer. And they've already suffered greatly, and it's going to get worse. Isn't that good news? <laughs> I mean, did that, anybody, did, did you get hit with that when you were reading this morning? You, I mean, did you swallow hard? You're already going through a hard time. And here's the news for the day. It's going to get worse. Guys, we cannot look for some sense of satisfaction of our heart or peace for our heart or hope for our heart by hoping that in 2022, here we go, just a practical thing, midterm elections. That's our savior. No, it's not. No, it's not. Our savior hung on a cross and rose again. And he's faithful with us now. Uh, he talked about getting thrown into prison. Prison at this point wasn't just like a, the, the prison itself wasn't a place for punishment. This was your holding tank before your execution. That's what he's pulling back the veil to see. And he's helping us see it's not just Rome or unbelieving Jews. It wasn't just an economy or their employers. It wasn't educators. It wasn't all this. Did you notice he, he gave reference to Satan and how he is prowling about like a roaring lion trying to devour faith right and left. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Literally, it means don't be afraid of anything or anyone. Anything, anyone. Why? Because of his providence. So notice the words. Would you do this? If you're a Bible circler, writer, scribbler, um, would you circle this? That you may be tested for 10 days. It's one of the most significant parts of this section. 
there's a purpose, isn't there? You see, it's not, oh man, the devil this, the unbelieving Jews this, Rome this, the economy this. Oh wait, God has a purpose. It's not just willy-nilly that you would be tested for 10 days. Here's good news. I wasn't a good student. The, the, the word test is hard for me to remember that's a good thing. <laughs> I was not a good test taker. But listen, this is good news from the Lord. Christ not only knows what you're going through, he's planned for it to grow your faith. He's planned for it to grow your character, the Christ-like character that you want to have more developed in your life. He's planned for it to advance the mission of making disciples locally and globally. That's what that, that is there for. So that, that, it's, one, it's, it's huge in this passage. So here's just a couple of little, little pointers. We do not fear because we're not surprised by suffering and persecution. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So we're not surprised. So you're not, we're not going to cop out with the thought that says, well, somehow God's forgotten me. I'm going through all this trouble. He has not. He loves you. He said we would go through times of tribulation. We're not going to be surprised. We don't fear because God is using the trial to prove to us and the world that our faith is genuinely given, grown, and sustained in us by God. That's what, so, and where am I getting that from? 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found, not to perish, right, but to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah for that. Do not fear because God is using the trial to mature us in both the character and mission of Christ. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering is producing endurance and endurance producing character and character producing hope. Oh, and hope in God does not, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God uses trials to not only prove to us the genuineness of our faith, but do you realize he's, the world is going through trials too and there's supposed to be a distinct difference between the church of the living God and how we face coronavirus and the way the world faces coronavirus. You guys, I think we dropped the ball. Thank God for God being redeeming and loving and that he's working through all these things and all this. Oh my goodness. The ball I think we dropped in, in, in the last year and a half by by failing to love others the way Christ has loved us, especially in the church. Do you know how many churches have split and divided and lost members because they just focused on secondary things instead of rallying under their allegiance to Jesus and his mission? Thank you for not being like that. Thank you for seeking to love regardless of how costly loving others is. He uses these trials to be able to show the world, wow, the way those Christians believe, that can't be just manufactured from people. There's got to be a God. There's got to be a God that they would forgive those who hurt them so deeply, that they would be patient with those who drive them crazy so often, <laughs> that, they, that they would keep loving us though we scorn them. Oh, the tested genuineness of our faith. It's from God and not from ourselves. I think we ought to just say, amen, thank you, Jesus. But you would never know, you person who thinks, oh, my faith is so weak, oh, precious one. You might feel it's weak, but it's strong enough. The Lord has given it to you. 
And he's just helping us not trust in idols. He's burning away the dross. He's, he's showing us where we're putting our hope in other things and not in the Lord. Those are all good things. Keep, let's keep going. We do not fear because our, our loving God rules over every nanosecond of our trials. They will happen and they will have their limits. So if you kind of were wondering, what is this thing about 10 days? You're going to have tribulation. You should see the commentators about that. They're just everybody's all over the map as to what that means. I think it's here's a safe thing that we can all agree on. It means it's going to happen. Okay, <laughs> it's definite. There's going to be times of tribulation, and it's going to be limited, definite and limited. Okay, I think that for sure. And I think it's also supposed to get us thinking back to Daniel. There was a ten day period in Daniel. Anybody remember? When the when the Daniel and and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were tested about the king's food and about idolatry, and all those things, and what was the result of their tribulation? Stronger faith in Jesus. I think those are some things that the Lord wants us to get out of that. Closing thought is this: Be faithful by standing on the promises of Christ. Verse 10b, such a beautiful sound. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So God's faithfulness empowers us to be faithful to him by standing on his promises, to never leave us, to give us the victory, share the victory he's already won with us, even if it costs us our lives. It means in the midst of suffering, we continue to be a witness for Christ. Again, this is where I think my preaching has been short over the years. It means, listen, God will comfort you, but you, oh, you guys, God's comfort is a transforming comfort. God's not just patter, a head patter. God's not just going, oh, it'll get better. He's much more than that. God comes and comforts your heart and changes it while he's comforting you. He's changing it. Why? Because we're supposed to be lampstands. We're supposed to be shining the brightness of his love and his sacrifice in the hardest of times. Not hiding our lamps under bushels when things get hard. It means that we're going to be a witness for Christ even when it's hard. We're going to live gospel-centered lives in our singleness, in our marriages, when our marriages get hard, when parenting is, is hard, and we're feeling the vice grip of feeling like we're failing in marriage or parenting. We're going to, we're going to continue serving the local church. We're going to live on mission in our employment and in our education. And oh, we're going to evangelize. How we're going to evangelize more than we've ever done before. This is not some call to be awesome. <laughs> if you're coming to Sovereign Grace Church, ain't nothing awesome about us, right? We are so weak. <laughs> well, we've got so many warts in our, in our walks with the Lord. I'm so glad he hasn't called us to be awesome. He's just called us to be faithful. Just called us to be faithful. I think the best way to be prepared to die for Christ on some possible future day is to die to yourself daily now. And can I say just an encouragement to moms? Moms, you are awesome. <laughs> There's not a lot of awesome going on around here, but oh, I think our moms are awesome. I think moms are, yeah, thank you, Brad. Yeah, never mind, we're almost done. (laughs) Stay focused. I don't know anyone who's more (laughs) self-deny, more self-denying than moms. I think moms are probably the best prepared for persecution (laughs) of anybody in the church because, I mean, just think about a mom's life change a diaper with this hand, cook a, cook scrambled eggs with this hand, be sure to wash this hand if I'm going to go over here. You know, 
to having just all that you do. Yes, you can go out to play. No, you've been disobedient. Honey, are you doing okay at work? How are you doing? Can I be praying for What can I be praying for you? I want to go and bring a pie to the neighbor. I want to tell them about Jesus. Um, listen, and moms, I know you can get so discouraged because you're just feeling like that's all my day. All my day. We stop to think of it. All my day is self-denial. Oh, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. And you know what God does? <clears throat> I know you wish you could go and go off to have, oh, an hour or two hours walking in green fields and a little <laughs> pond to sit by and, <clears throat> and just pray and talk to the Lord or pass out. One of the two. One of the two. Little is much when God is in it. God hears your five-minute prayers. God loves your five-minute prayers. God's changing the world in your five-minute prayers. How do we prepare? I don't know. I freak I'm up with you. I don't know that I, will I be faithful if they say, put your head on the guillotine or, or call, call Christ cursed and say, the United States government is Lord Gosh, it kind of freaks me out. Would I? Would I? Well, listen, that's not the issue. Die to yourself today. Who, who, who have you, you've known for months you need to forgive? Die to yourself. And watch the Spirit move in your forgiving someone. Do you know forgiving someone is probably the most Christ-like thing you'll ever do on the face of this earth? We want to be more like Christ? Oh, but I don't want to forgive that person. <laughs> no. It's the most Christ-like thing we'll ever do. If you've been negligent spending time with the Lord and in prayer or study, if, if you're not engaged in the body of Christ, you're not, not just a member on the church role, but you're an engaged member. Die to yourself. Let, this, let your schedule change to where you're an active part of what God is doing in, in the church. And then this, it closes, a very sober closing. Um, did you notice the issue of the second death? Well, later on in Revelation, it's going to become very clear what the second death is. It is the lake of fire that has been made for Satan. That was its original design. And for everyone who doesn't put their faith in Jesus. This is, this is a sobering thing because already he's going to give us a crown of life, right? The worst Satan can do kill us. Sometimes God at some point always allows his people to die and, unless he comes again. If there's a rapture, if he beams us out, or if we go through really hard times and we just greet him at the end when he comes. But we're all going to die. God's commitment to us is to not prevent us from dying. God's commitment to us is to keep us from the second death. That's hell. That's the lake of fire. We should not be so afraid of dying, this body going to the grave. What, what should scare us is him who decides about heaven and hell. What, what, should, what should scare us is the lake of fire that we all deserve, don't we? Oh, I deserve an eternity in that lake of fire because of my countless sins against the risen Savior, the crucified Savior. Oh, and I'm so glad he died for me. I'm so glad that he keeps us from the second death. That's, that's got to be our hope. You see, you, you kind of see today, there's a lot more that we could say about the doctrine of persecution and the victory of Christ for us in overcoming it. But I hope, you, I hope you're leaving today feeling like, I've got room to grow, but I'm a little stronger in that today as I go out and face a world that will involve some vice grips, that will involve some tribulation, and even if it would, can't, would result in my physical death as a martyr for Jesus, I'll breathe my last breath here, and I'll breathe my first breath in a world where I'm going to notice there's no sin. Oh. There's no suffering. There's no cancer. 
There's perfect love for one another. Oh, but the best thing is you. Would you stand with me this morning? Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for being in complete control of history past. Thank you for the promises and the control that you will paint for us, that you already have over history future from our perspectives. What I ask right now, would you magnify your presence, your risen presence in the hearts of our church family? Would you dry tears? Would you grow faith? Would you help us cast down the idols that have been robbing us of our affection for you? Would you help us to see that loving people who hurt us is not losing? Because we're going to eat from the tree of life forever. Help us to see that every time we love someone in Jesus' name, it's a victory. Not the result. They may scorn us. But it's been a victory because only Jesus could do that in someone's heart. Lord, would you continue to pastor us through the book of Revelation? Oh, how we love you. How we praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.